Hey, while they're coming in and, and being seated, um, let me just uh, really encourage you um, to add to your prayer list, if you haven't already, would you just add uh, our South Africa trip, our team that leaves? We, um, we leave in February. Uh, most everybody leaves on the 22nd of February. A few people are going to leave a little early and leave a little later or come back a little later. But um, the reason I say it's so important is because we're taking, are you ready for this, 31 people to South Africa. Isn't that great? I mean, that's pretty amazing when, when you realize, you know, we're a little, uh, just a little shy of three years old and we have 31 people who are going to fly an ungodly number of hours, you know. But, but here's the thing I, I want to just say. As, as we're finding our way in here, is, you know, our prophetic history is very unique. How we started, it's interesting that Corey mentioned Sean Boltz, and he's known Sean for a long time. Sean was the guy who in 2011 was speaking up at Bethel Church, and he prophesied that there would be a boiling over of a church in Southern California and a church would start on 2-12-12 that would lead to, that would influence the nation. Now think about it. Think about, we started our church on 2-12-12 with no intention. If you were there that night, you know there was no intention of starting a church. My wife was shocked. I said, well, I just believe God wants to birth a church tonight. Didn't even know Sean at the time. Didn't know anything about that prophecy. Didn't know anything about it. And so when you think about how we started, what God did to start that, and then kind of what God's done all along the way. You know, we never went out looking for miracles. We never set up and said, we're going to see a bunch of people healed. And, and the amazing thing is, if you stop and think about the prophetic history of it, everybody that God has miraculously healed has all been medically verified. It wasn't like a guy said, my arm hurt, and it feels really good now. It was like crazy stuff where the doctors are going, yeah, we don't know what happened. Must be God. But anyway, um, I, I, I filled enough time in here to get Corey here. Corey, are you ready, brother? All right. Hey, let's welcome Corey back. All right. Bless you guys. Okay, so um, we've got about 25 minutes. So I, I just want to touch on a couple other just quick little things here on the first page. Again, um, God reestablishing the Davidic order on the earth. That's what I want to talk about. How many of you guys have studied the Tabernacle of David at all? Okay, so just a couple of you. So this is real critical. This is real critical because it'll give you, it'll probably give language and, and biblical foundation to what you're feeling. Like, wow, I'm feeling this. But when you see it in the word, you go, oh, you know, the Lord is really orchestrating this thing. So, Father, we thank you again for your goodness and your mercy we thank you for the spirit, and we ask God, would you continue to open our eyes up to what you're doing? Would you give us ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us right now, Lord, and empower us to respond to you with no hindrance, wholehearted love, and give me a mouth to speak in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so back to uh, Revelation chapter 4, the Father's throne. David, being a man after God's heart, which means he really was after the heart of God. He was a prototype or a model of what God was looking for in people to be wholehearted, to go after God. You know, he was the one, Psalm 27, 4, that said, one thing I desire of the Lord, which is important he said that because entering into that place of beholding God and, 
and encountering God takes God. We can't do it in our own strength. It takes God to know God. It takes God to give us grace to enter into God. And so David said, one thing I desire of the Lord, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And the house of the Lord he's talking about is the house I just described in the heavens. David saw this. He was a seer. He was a prophet. He was a priest. He was a king. But he was one that entered into that place. And he said, I want to behold the glory of the Lord, dwell in his house all the days of my life, behold his beauty with his eyes, and to inquire, which means he wanted to ask him questions. And so what do you do in the place of priestly ministry? You behold and you inquire. You behold and you inquire. Another way that it's said in the Old Testament about uh, some of the, the prophet priests is they stood and they heard. They stood and they heard. You know, Jeremiah 23, who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and heard and perceived his word. It's a place of priestly ministry where we take a stand, literally. We stand before God. And sometimes it's helpful to take your word, open it up, and you stand in the presence of God and you read it and you talk to him about it. And you behold him by the Spirit. You know, we don't need these eyes to behold God because God is spirit. The Holy Spirit can escort us into that place and we talk to him. We ask him questions. And so David was shown this revelation foreseen, and he was so captured by what he saw. And just to give you a little insight into what he saw so you know for sure, look at paragraph C, 1 Chronicles 28. Now this is when David was going to transition from the tabernacle of David, which I'll talk about in a second, to the temple of Solomon. He gave Solomon blueprints how to build the temple because he saw one in the heavens. And it says that this is what he saw. He gave Solomon, 1 Chronicles 28, verse 11, the plans for all that he had by the Spirit. Again, the Spirit's the one that escorts us, right? It shows us things eyes haven't seen, ears haven't heard. This is what he did for David. God's no respecter of persons. If he did it for David, he'll do it for us. All that he had by the Spirit of, number one, the courts of the house of the Lord. David saw the house of the Lord in the heavens. Number two, the division or courses of the priesthood. So there's a priesthood in the heavens, in the temple, and they approach God by course or by order. And David saw the order. He saw how God set up that heavenly ministry, the heavenly order of ministry. He saw the work of the service. So what they did in their priestly work, you know, priest. They had real work that they did. It wasn't like, you know, all those lazy guys just sitting around and beholding God all day. No, it's work. It's the work of the ministry to God. It's real work. I mean, I have people all the time, they if they don't really understand what we do in Kansas City, you know, they joke with me about, you know, well, why don't you get out there and do the real works of the kingdom? And I'm going, bro, have you ever sat before God for 25 hours a week? You know, because we're full time. Full time for us is 50 hours a week. 25 of those hours, half of it, we spend in ministry to God. And then the other half, we do whatever we're graced to do. So for me, I'm a Bible teacher. I train interns. I work in the internships. I lead things in a department. But so half the time I do that. And then the other half the time I sit before God. I'm like, have you ever tried sitting before God 25 hours a week? All your junk gets exposed right away. I mean, immediately you hit the wall of boredom. And you've got to press through that thing. We fast every week. We read the word. It's a discipline of ministry to God in the word. Like, 
So don't talk to me about work until you've done it. It's real work. It's the work of ministry. And in David's day, he paid people to do it. And in our day, God's raising up modern day priests who are paid as a full-time occupation to minister to God, as we'll see here in just a second. So David saw the priest, the work, and the articles of service, which means what they used. And so in Revelation chapter 5, which we didn't get to, John sees the 24 elders approach God with a harp in one hand and bowls of incense, which he says are the prayers of the saints in the other. So we know for sure that God receives the priestly ministry of musical instruments and worship and prayers, and they flow together before the throne. And when God receives the worship and prayers of the saints, then he releases the spirit to move in power. In other words, the primary way that God releases his governmental power in the earthly realm is through faith-filled words of agreement. And we can either pray those words, we can sing those words with music, we can declare those words. It doesn't matter how they're released. But if they're words that are filled with faith and they're in agreement with God's will, he releases the Spirit's power in the earth to execute his will. It's 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, where he says that this is the confidence that we have regarding prayer. This is the confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, he'll answer, and we have the petitions that we asked of him. So guys, all we have to do is speak words in agreement with his will, and it's as good as done, because God said so. That's why, you know, I've taught the book of Revelation for 20 years. The Lord put me in that book of all books. That's the book he put me in. And he says, don't get your nose out of that book till I say. And so I'm like, great. I love it because it's the revelation of who? Jesus. It's the revelation of a man. It's not the revelation of end time events, although there's definitely end time events. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so as I've been studying that book, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, you know, the Lord is releasing his governmental power in the earth every time the priesthood comes into agreement with his will. It is as good as done. And in that book, many times, it, it uses phrases in what the, the scholars call, this is just fancy language, which nobody cares about right now, but proleptic past tense, which it's when God says something as though it's already been accomplished, though it hasn't been accomplished yet. But he says it's already done. And the reason why he does it is because if he spoke it, it's as good as done, even though it hasn't manifested on the earth yet. And so when we come into agreement with his will, guys, we can have absolute certainty that he will do what he said he's going to do. We don't have to doubt it. And so when we gather together in corporate prayer, we we use the word of God to be the launch pad of our prayers because we're going for corporate agreement with absolute faith. In other words, when I pray Ephesians chapter 1, which is a prayer recorded in the Bible that says that God wants to release a spirit of wisdom and revelation, when I speak that prayer out, there should be no unbelief in the room that we all know because God said it, it's his prayer, we know he will release it to us, we don't have to doubt it, we can do it with absolute faith, and we will receive what we ask for. And so he's releasing that. Okay, so, sorry for that little diversion there, but let's get back to this. So, so David saw it. Music, prayer flowing together, paragraph D, because God's 
allowed David to see this, and he gave David insight into how the heavenly liturgy functioned. Liturgy just means order. The heavenly liturgy functioned in the heavens. David committed to God to establish what he saw in the heavens on the earth. He, he vowed to the Lord that he would not give, Psalm 132, he would not give comfort. He would not go to the chamber of his house or the comfort of his bed. Verse 4, he will not give sleep to his eyes or slumber to his eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. That's what he vowed. And so today, God is raising up men and women with a heart like David who are not content with Western Christianity as we've known it. But we know because of the word and his will and what he's doing right now in the heavens and what he promised he'll do on the earth, we're saying we're not going to give rest to our eyes, slumber to our eyelids. We're not going up to the comfort of our own beds until we establish a dwelling place for the presence of God on the earth as it is in the heavens like David. And I want to say that in the first verse there, the psalmist says, remember David and all of his afflictions, because when you vow, and I don't suggest you vow, but when you commit, I'll say it lighter, when you commit to going for this thing, we're going to establish a dwelling place, you know, whether it's two hours or 168, doesn't matter, but you're going for it. You will encounter afflictions. You will encounter demonic resistance. You will encounter uh, religious leaders resistance. (laughs) Some of our greatest uh, resistances come from our friends in the church, right? Why do you guys have to pray so much? Why do you have to be so intense? Why do you have to fast so much? Why do you have to speak about the word so much? What is all this about priestly da-da-da-da-da? Guys, you will encounter resistance, but if you press through that, we get God. Again, it's a choice. So David committed. He said, I'm going to do this thing. So he established what was called the Tabernacle of David. It was simply a tent. They put the Ark of the Covenant in there, which was the earthly footstool of the throne of God in the heavens. So God had a convergence point in David's day between the heavens and the earth, and it was between the throne of God in Revelation 4 in the temple and the Ark of the Covenant on the earth. And those two points were the convergence points of heaven and earth. And in David's tabernacle, he employed 4,000 musicians and 288 singers in a full-time occupation of work to minister to God day and night. And they were fueled by the beauty of God. Just like the angels in the heavens, they sang about his beauty. They sang about his glory. Now, how many musicians do we have in here? Okay, you know how hard it is to get a few musicians in unity? Think about David's job of getting 4,000 musicians in order and in unity around the manifest presence of God. But he did it. Now, when this tabernacle was standing 33 years, Israel was victorious over all of her enemies. They defeated them all because they were in divine order. God first, first commandment, ministry to people, second commandment, God subdued all their enemies. They prospered socially and economically and politically. And then because they're human beings, they would neglect the priestly ministry to God first and they would come under subjection to their enemies every single time. 
their enemies would overpower them. Then God would raise up a reformer like godly King Josiah and Hezekiah. There were seven revivals. And the first thing that those kings did every single time was restore the Davidic order of worship, which was put the singers and musicians back in front of the Ark of the Covenant to minister to God. And the minute they did, there was a revival in Israel. So you'd think we would learn, right? Like, this is God's order. This is his way. Because he's going for establishing a resting place on earth as it is in heaven. Because God wants to dwell on the earth with his covenant people. That's, that's the plan. So he's looking for people to do that. Well, the last time that it fell down, Amos prophesies in 750 B.C. of a future day when God himself would raise up the tabernacle of David that's fallen down, he would repair its damages and its ruins, and he would restore it as in the days of old. It says Amos chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. And so God was talking about a future day at the end of the age when he himself would erect a spiritual tabernacle across the nations of the earth where the people of God in covenant with him would come into a revelation of the Davidic order and they would begin to minister to God with prophetic music and prophetic singing day and night fueled by the beauty of God. And the Lord said in Amos chapter nine that it would be the primary way that he brings in the great harvest of souls. Look at uh, Amos chapter nine in your Bible if you have it. Or actually flip to uh, the page two, the very last verse. I've got it there for you so you don't have to fumble around in your Bible. Page two, very last verse. Amos chapter nine, verse 11. Now this is what God said he was going to do. He says, I will raise up the tabernacle of David. Now when the Lord says he's going to do something, it's as good as done. I mean, he's going to do it, guys. I'm going to raise up the tabernacle, which has fallen down. I will rebuild it as in the days of old. That's a key phrase because it means exactly the way David did it because it was God's command to David. Singers and musicians, day and night, fueled by the beauty of God. And then he goes on to say, why would he do this? Verse 12, that they would possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who were called by my name. When it says they're going to possess all the Gentiles, it's talking about them coming into a saving knowledge of who God is and coming into the covenant. That they would literally, the people the priestly people of David's tabernacle would possess the Gentile nations of the earth. It's talking about the great harvest coming in. But I want you to notice that he isolates one group. First, he says all the Gentiles, but he isolates one group called the remnant of Edom. And if you look at ancient Edom and the people that now possess the lands of Edom, we're talking about some of the most hostile Islamic nations of the earth. God was not taken unaware by probably the greatest threat in our day to the church and at his radical Islam. And the Lord says, I love them and I'm going to save them. And this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to raise up the tabernacle of David with prophetic music and singing. And they're not just going to be singing any songs. They're going to be declaring the unsearchable riches of Christ to the nations as I shake the nations and I will possess the remnant of Edom. The Lord's going to bring in the Islamic youth and he's going to do it through the Davidic order of worship and prayer. And then, and this is what I really wanted you to see, jump back to page one, very bottom, Amos 9, verse 14. He knits the acceleration of the great harvest coming in and the generation 
of the Davidic order being restored to the generation in which Israel was restored to her land. Look at this. It says, I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. I will plant them in their land, and no longer will they be pulled up from the land. So in the generation that God restores Israel to her land, when did that happen? 1948. In the generation that God restored Israel back to her land, never again to be pulled up, regardless of who says they're going to push them into the sea, they're not moving ever again. That people is going to be in Israel till Jesus returns. And when Jesus returns, he is a resurrected Jewish king coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he is not going to have any border negotiations when he shows up. In fact, he's taken over the whole world. That's really good news for the people of God. It all belongs to him. All the real estate, it's his. The generation that sees Israel restored to her land is the generation that God is going to release the Davidic order across the nations of the earth and bring in all the Gentiles. Beloved, my point is we are in this generation. We are this people. And God's going to do it. The question is, will you be a part of it? Will you be a part of it? Will you agree with him in what he's going to do Will you take your place of priestly ministry before the Lord and take it serious? And it's way bigger than just a two-hour set once a week here. It's a lifestyle of seeing yourself as a priest before God. That is your primary function. You know, on the, on the second page, you can read through all the notes that I have there. But your identity, the highest identity that you will ever have in relationship to God is a bride. You are the bride of Christ, men and women. That is your highest identity. You are being unified with God through covenant. You're the bride of Christ. That's your identity. But your highest function, your primary function, is to be a kingdom of priests before him forever where we agree with who he is. That's called worship. We agree with what he wants to do. That's called prayer. And the Lord releases his will through our faith-filled words of agreement on the earth as it is in heaven. Beloved, will you do that? Do you have a yes in your heart for that? Well, let's just stand before the Lord. I just want to present ourselves before him and let's just say yes and then see what he wants to do because he's the one that's going to unfold this all over the earth. He's going to unfold it here. And those of you that are here tonight and you're part of this ministry, you know, you're here for two reasons. Number one, you're here because you need something from this ministry. I mean, what they have here at Influence Church is something you need. That's why God has connected you here. But on the same token, they need something from you. That's why God brought you here. Every single one of you has something to offer. We're the body. I had a dream the other night where um, it was really powerful, where I was preaching at some whatever it was, and Usually, if I have preaching dreams, it's what the Lord is saying. It's the word of the Lord to me. You know, it's what he's saying to me. So I'm listening to what I'm preaching. But what I was speaking about is that God was looking at the church throughout all the nations as his body, which we know that we are, and how the body can only come into fullness when all the tribes come in. And I began to declare England and then the people in England that were in this meeting stood up and they just erupted in praise to God. And I said, the people of Brazil and Brazil's just like, you know, because they have their own unique sound, you know, their own flavor. Scotland. 
I mean, I've been to Scotland to hear the bagpipes and the drums and the guys with kilts. I mean, it's so cool. <laughs> right? The guys with kilts. But there's these big old guys with beards with bagpipes worshiping God with that sound. And you think of the Africans. I've seen in uh, Uganda, I've seen uh, Africans with drums worship God and dance. And there was so much power released. And I think that's so different from the guys in England. Or God is bringing in all the nations. And when all of the nations, every tribe, every tongue enters into their place of priestly ministry before God, he's going to release a commanded blessing of fullness across the entire church. And you guys have a part to play in that. So, Father, here we are. Lord, we stand here today. Lord, before your throne, Revelation 4. God, we're on that sea of glass before you. Lord, we come as priests. We minister to you. We say we love you. You are holy. God, we agree with the angels of heaven. There's none like you. You are transcendent in your beauty. You are glorious in your holiness. You are fearful in praises. You do wonders. Who is like you, O God? You remove kings. You raise them up. You shift times and seasons. Wisdom and might belong to you. We bless you. We join with the great cloud of witnesses in the heavens. We join with Abraham. Lord, we join with David, who's before you right now. We join with all of the saints that have gone before us, that cloud of witnesses in the throne room of heaven, and we say, you are transcendent and glorious. We love you. And Lord, we ask you, would you set us in place? We say yes to it. Raise up the priestly ministry in this valley, God. Raise up, like you did in Bangor, Ireland, 3,000 priests for 300 years ministering to you day and night with singing and worship. Would you raise up something unique in this place? God, raise up your house in Orange County, raise up the house of prayer. You said your house would be called a house of prayer. And so we say, God, here we are. Use us, Lord, anoint us. So I just pray right now that you would release a priestly anointing over every heart in this room. A priestly anointing of understanding that we would minister to you out of wisdom and knowledge. That you would release the keys of wisdom and knowledge. And you'd give to us the very key of David to Release the governmental power of heaven right here on the earth to do your will for your glory. And I ask God that you'd bring in singers, you'd bring in musicians, you'd bring in artists, you'd bring in dancers, you would bring all the the creativity that you have uh, released on the earth, that you'd bring it into your tabernacle to display and to declare your creative beauty and wonders to the earth. And we say, let Jesus be glorified in this place, Lord. Release the grace that you gave Paul to declare the unsearchable riches of Christ. And I just pray for songs to be given in the night, that you'd awaken the ears to hear. That there'd be those in the room right now, God, you would awaken their ears to hear in the night. That you'd release dreams. That you'd release encounters. That you'd release visions. Visions in the day, dreams in the night. You said it, Lord, and we ask you for it. And pour out your spirit, even in this house. Let this be a unique reflection of the international family of affection right here. God, I ask you for various tribes and tongues to come in. Lord, let this be just a, uh, a unique representation of your kingdom from this place. Give a grand view of the kingdom from here, God, I ask you, in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Good. Amen. Thank you, brother. Love this guy. You know, I was just sitting over there and I just smiled. I thought, isn't it funny that a year ago, most of you would never imagine you would have sat week after week for two and a half hours. I mean, seriously. You know, and it's not like this is the only thing you do. You know, because a lot of you are at, at the women's meeting on Monday or you're going to be at the men's meeting on Monday and. You know, you do have a life. We just want all of it. <laughs> Amen? You know, I mean, you know, there is something about, you know, you start getting enough stuff poured in you from God, it just starts oozing out, you know, and you find greater joy in his presence than you do anything else. I mean, what would you be doing tonight if you weren't here? Oh, you know, you could watch some TV. You know, you could do whatever. But what would you really be doing that would be so valuable that you would just say, yeah, I'm going to blow that off. I'm going to blow that off. Well, thank you for being here tonight. Thank you again, uh, Corey, for being with us. And uh, we're excited about what we're going to do in, in the days ahead. And, and we're going to have some more meetings with him and kind of start laying out a blueprint for what God, we, we believe God wants us to, to get involved in night and day prayer. And that's, we don't know what that looks like and how much time that takes, but just want to let you know that we're we're moving in a direction, and I think this is another one of those prophetic milestones that we're going to look back on and go, oh, yeah, remember that. You know, remember that. It's kind of like you see them. You know, it's like when Jared Davidoff came, and, you know, we started to see that effect, and and we just see things happening. So God bless you guys. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, as in our tradition, another one of our non-prophetic but very much needed operations we take tables down, we stack them on carts, and we stack chairs uh, for the glory of God. Amen? Amen? So you're already prayed out. He just prayed for you. God bless you guys. Have a great week in the Lord.